I'll You're listening you. to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad, and we're standing on the grounds of Kilkenny Castle. Castle Night. Peter Kenny here with me. Peter, Peter is, despite O'Kenny from having a good West of Ireland name, is a Kilkenny man and proud of it. Tough Alter Road. I'll go now because I'll go to Road is stuck in Ermagin Gohanabra. Yeah, on Cashlan Kilkenny. On Cashlan Kilkenny, Kilkenny Castle. So we're standing today just at, in the courtyard of Kilkenny Castle and we're looking down into the most recent works that we've carried out which is an archaeological dig and right in front of us is the medieval gate of Kilkenny Castle and this dates back to between about 1190 and about 1220 and this was all very badly damaged in the siege of Kilkenny Castle in 1650 by a gentleman we won't talk too much about Oliver Cromwell and Cromwell's forces attacked Kilkenny like Rexford and, uh, and Clonmel and that and he battered the south wall and tower with cannon and the family that lived here erased most of the south uh, most of the, uh, the, the medieval gatehouse and a few years ago um, the Office of Public Works employed a group of archaeologists to do a, ge- a geophysical survey of the park now geophysics is ground pe- penetrating radar and to our amazement we discovered that the castle number one was twice the size we previously thought and number two they exactly identified where the gatehouse was and believe it or not it turned up on the first day of the archaeology literally only a couple of centimetres below the, below the soil so what we have in front of us are two round towers and this is the gate right in front of us here and if you notice the width of the gate is only a metre and a half wide and this is the width of really a man on horseback so this is the, 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 the defensive feature from the medieval period and I know you're interested in, in Irish traditional music one of the most beautiful finds we found or not we found but the archaeologists found within the first week was a beautiful bronze harp tuner that turned up and they could tell it was a bronze harp tuner from the wear on it as well right. it's only about the size of my little finger right. but that turned up here as well the families would have been I'll talk to you about the family a little later but they would have been patrons to Irish harpists and poets as well in the 16th century now they've only gone down half a metre and yeah. this goes down three metres underground right. so it'll be very exciting to see now what we I'm discover I'm looking at what would have been the, the layout of it. Yep. And as I look at that relative to where the gate is and where the existing building is, I can see where it could possibly join in over there. And to our amazement, for years we were saying that it was directly over here to to our right hand side. We now think it was over here. It was actually a triangular type shape. So that the wall seems to go off in this direction. So we're, the plans we're trying to make to people is we're constantly going back and renewing what we know about these right. castles. So it's changed our outlook on, on the castle itself. So logic would dictate that you would have had four towers symmetrically arranged. We now think there was three towers and one gatehouse here at Kilkenny Castle. Now, the other thing, and I don't know if it's my spectacles are somewhat warped, but am I seeing that the I, it, this what I'm looking at is not... Um, three sides of a square or three quite sides of a rectangle uh, yeah it's a trapezoid shape yeah. now the, the castle has changed completely over the centuries it was remodelled in the 16th to 17th and twice in the 19th century and the most important date we have is 1825 and this is when Windsor Castle in England has been redesigned so architecturally that's what Kilkenny looks like today right. if you look at it from the hill it's called castellated baronial or Scottish baronial architecture so that's what most of the castle and we've restored it today to how it would have been as a restored Victorian stately home what I'd like to draw your attention to is over here we have the Great Tower of the Castle and the family always referred to this as the White Tower and uh, we often want to challenge people's preconceptions of what we think castles would have looked like this would have been plastered and whitewashed and this was done both on the inside and the outside of the castle as well so in the medieval period this was a white castle on a green hill, you would have seen it for miles around, it was a state of wealth, power and of course military domination of the landscape around it. Very recently the archaeologists found similar plaster or pl- and whitewashing on the walls of Kilkenny. So not only was Kilkenny the castle white, the walls of Kilkenny would have been white as well. So it would have been something when we get the sunshine, <laughs> it would have been something to see. 
Kilkenny has black marble. Kilkenny has limestone, right. which is when we polish it, it comes up. We call it Kilkenny black marble. And one of the reasons for its popularity was during the wars with Napoleon, you couldn't get marble from Italy, so it was used as a substitute. And over in North America, in a place called Harewood in West Virginia, one of the Washington houses has a Kilkenny black marble fireplace. Right. So it made its way over to the to the, the North American continent as well. Because again, the perception would be that limestone is either uh, a white or some shade of white. Mm. Well, this is limestone right in front of us. You can see this is yeah. this would have come from. Yeah. We actually call it the black quarry. It's just up behind us up the hill here. And when you polish it, it comes up this wonderful black colour. You'll see it on some of the old steps in Kilkenny. Yeah. From the polishing from people's shoes, it comes up this beautiful. It's called bird's eye marble as well because the little fossil is embedded in the stone. Right. 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 So if you'd like to join him inside yes, and, we'll, we'll, and we'll have a look around. So then when was the castle um, made open? When did it open to the public? When did it become well, the centre of the, the castle opened officially in 1976 to the public and it's taken decades of restoration work to get back to where it is today. Now the family who lived here, and I've just alluded to them briefly, were the Butler family. Yeah. And uh, I hope the most famous member of this family you've, you've come across is, of course, the Irish poet and playwright William Butler, Butler yeah. Yeats. Of course, the Yeats is very proud of his Butler heritage. I know in, in, in Canada, in the Saskatchewan province, the earlier explorer was General Sir William Butler from Tipperary, and he was married to Lady Elizabeth Butler, the war artist, the, the, the charge of the Light Brigade, and all of that. Um, and then there's Butler's Rangers in Canada as well. So it's, uh, they're, they're a pretty well connected family. And when you said then, what type of time period would the Butler connection be? Well, well, we'll go back to the original castle, that was built, of course, by Strongbow. Yeah. And that was 1172. And it's a great tragedy in, in, in history. Ireland, we have the English sources, the Latin sources, but we also have the Gaelic sources, which were uh. neglected completely by historians. Um, and there's a book, very famous book called The Annals of the Four Masters. Yes. And in it is recalled Donald O'Brien, who is King of Tormund. And we do the translation on that as Big Donald O'Brien from Limerick. <laughs> he attacked the Normans here at Kilkenny. And I love the translation. It says, He gave grief to the foreigner that dwelt there. And the date we have for this is 1173. Right. So that gives us our date of 1172 for Strongbow's original castle. Right. Um, the, the castle uh, was rebuilt. We think it was abandoned, actually. And the castle was rebuilt by William Marshall, okay. uh, Lord of Leinster. He married uh, Isabel, the daughter of Strongbow. And he built the first stone castle here at Kilkenny. Um, and in 1391, the butlers came into ownership of the castle. And they controlled it all the way up to 1967. And they donated it back to a local restoration committee for the sum of £50. Pounds. Now this at the time it was only a legal gesture. It was the signing over of a leasehold. So some of the money changed hands you know, for, the tr for the transaction to become legal. The reason we mention this is uh, one of the butlers kept a diary and he recorded one of the Irish newspapers ran a front page headline, Kilkenny Castle Goes for £50. Pound. And he said for months after he received letters and phone calls requesting did he have any other castles he'd like to sell for £50. Pounds. Now unfortunately the task of restoring a castle was beyond any local archaeological group yeah. and in 1969 the, the Office of Public Works took ownership of the castle and as I said it was finally opened to the public in 1976. One of the stipulations of the handover was that the castle will be restored and opened to the public. Right. Something I hope we've done adequately right. for the past 50 odd years. I know um, it's a few years now since I went through um, a house over in um, near Shalala um, and I can't, it's just escaping me, but there was a stained glass window tracing the lineage back. Mm. So it's that like that with the butlers, yep. it actually showed who was who, who right yep. back to the first. Yeah. yeah, the butlers were very fond of. Although they were they were an Anglo-Irish family, they unlike the Fitzgeralds, shall we say, they remained closely linked to English royalty. Right. And, oh, and by the name, the name itself, they were butlers to the king. Their job was to give the ah. king his first cup of wine at ah. the coronation. In return for that, they got to keep the cup and the cover, and that became the family coat of arms. In addition to that, the butlers, like the Talbot family, they received prize wines and prisage rights. 
and for that they got 10% of the duties paid on all of the wines arriving into the royal ports of Ireland which now in this country is considerable that's another matter but uh, they held this right to about 1812 and they sold it back to the British Crown for £125,000 sterling which if we kind of calculate is about 60 million euros today so that's how much it was worth to them it's interesting when you said that they were the butler to the king because it's an illustration in a way first of all where names come from Mm -hmm. and secondly how people let's say started in lowly positions and And worked their way up (laughs) well if you think about we have dispenser which is a dispenser of justice okay you have chamberlain which is the master of the chamber and one of my favourite ones is napier somebody in charge of the napkins was a napier (laughs) originally on that one so these were all household um, clerks if you will allied to the royal household and of course like a lot of Norman names adjectives so they became descriptive terms and they, and they took them on as, as badges of office and that yes, yeah. way back I know you, um, we used to enjoy BBC had a programme there uh, Esther Ransom mm. used to, uh, where the name someone's name was associated with their jobs yeah. still mm. as if it was something new now we're going to go in and we're going to have a look around I'm going to try and take you down into the foundation level Okay. so if you want to come down this way with me so Welcome back, and we're, we are chatting with uh, Peter Kenny, and we're in Kilkenny Castle, and we've gone down to the basement. On the way down, Peter told me that um, the, the Butler connection that goes to Saskatchewan uh, was, uh, in effect, the first European to uh, put foot in Saskatchewan and then write dispatches back. Yeah, for the he, he was sending them to the London Illustrated News, and he was quite a good artist in his yeah. own right. So he was writing descriptions. So it always kind of reminds me of Livingston making progress into into Africa, roughly yeah. around the same time. And of course, Europeans were avidly listening to or are fascinated by this was complete terra incognito, as they say. Yeah. So um, and what time period was that? That would have been in the 19th century. So you're talking about the 1840s, 1850s. Right. So pre famine. Yeah. But yet the was a good Irish contingent already established in Canada. Oh, absolutely. Day. And yeah. of course, going back to, there was a quarantine area, of course, in Canada and um, out of the South Canada and, yeah. and of course, further south in America, up New Orleans yeah. as yeah. well. There were the areas for the, where, where ships were, were, were sent to for yeah. in, in the event of, um, of disease. I think cordon sanitaire or whatever. Yeah, what, what is the exact well, term? Again, pre-famine and, um, in Ottawa, like our canal. Mm-hmm. was built predominantly by Irish 1826 to 1832 right so yeah. there was that migration yeah. Mm. Yeah. and here Butler was out in Saskatchewan yeah. um, writing home to the, mi- the million the, the thousands mm. yeah. so we're down here in the basement and in front of us I was just going to show you an illustration of, of this, was, this dates back now a few years and we've moved on but this is what the castle would have looked like in the medieval period uh, recently just across the river they had found the remains of another tower and there was a chain going across the river and this was to block uh, ships going up and down the river and of course also to pay your taxes as well when you were looking for moorage you can see the first written description of the castle we have is in 1307 and it's in Elizabeth de Clare's will and it says we have four towers we have a hall uh, sorry a hall and a chapel and other diverse buildings and that's the first written description we have of the castle in, in around 1307 the castle itself has changed considerably over the centuries um, in, as I said in the Cromwellian siege was damaged the idea of a medieval castle had been superseded of course with the advent of gunpowder and that so it became a, a beautiful baroque chateau and as I said to you already in the 19th century it became a Victorian stately home but it is remarkable that it became the place of residence for one family for five and a half centuries that's, that they lived here. This was their family home. Indeed, indeed, yeah. indeed. Mm. Now I noticed in this illustration it would appear the original gate it seems has been included in that. Yep, but and yes. that was that was a gate as I was just showing you, just yes. outside. So that's that. And as I said to you, this piece here, you would have had a drawbridge and you yes. would have had a portcullis mechanism. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting to see with the new the archaeological dig next season what's going well, to be uncovered. Well, Absolutely. Oh, by the way, they found a lot of lead shot in cannonball from the Cromwell siege. Right. A lot of it was pancaked, as they call it. It was a lead shot it just hit the stone and yes. it just pancaked yes. across as well. Amazing. Very good. Is everything okay? 
Now we're, we're just in the base of one of the medieval towers. In Ireland, of course, we refer to these as drum towers rather than round towers because a round tower refers to the monastic towers okay. that were built together, so we're distinguishing between the two. But just on either side of us, we have two of the original arrow lids or arrow slits. Yeah. And these would have been used by archers and crossbowmen. And what I often mention to people is, of course, we have the descendants of those bowmen living in Kilkenny today. So we have Welsh, Welsh, Holden, and Archer. So they were all the descendants of the bowmen that came over with the Normans over to, to, to Ireland. So on the Welsh, on the Welsh coat of arms, there's three arrowheads as part of the okay. coat of arms as well. If you look at the thickness of the walls, they're about 12 feet or 3 meters in thickness. Yeah. So that's the, the defensive feature. And one little thing above you, you can see it looks like a basket weave. Yes. This is called wattle and daub. Yes. And in North America, it's called adobe culture. And we think this is 14th century, and this would have been the support of a beautiful vaulted ceiling. Now the vaulting has collapsed away, but the wicker centering has survived. So this and about wicker centering, you're saying is about 14th century, we think. Wow. And there's only a few examples of this in the country. Yeah. There's one in a bridge in Enish Dyke, down in the south of Kilkenny, underneath the bridge. So this would have been part of the construction of the vaulted ceiling, and it's incredible that it survived at all. And you mentioned the word, and we don't hear it often. I, I, when I looked up, I, mm. the word wattle came into my head immediately. Oh, and I mean, back, to, back to Yeats again. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that one, one of the most famous poems. That, that was voted, of course, the, uh, the, the, the Ireland's favourite our poem, The Isle of Free. Yes, indeed. Recently, it was a poll on, on Irish radio. Now, when you, when you mentioned the names Walsh, um, you mentioned Archer. Archer makes sense. Mm. Is, the, is there a connection with from a historical of how the name Walsh would have been tied in well, there? There were Welsh bowmen, so they came from Wales. Okay. So, uh, and a we- uh, so that's the simple, the short answer is they were Welshmen. So they were from um, Branagh. Right. But, uh, they were from Wales. So and of course, what the Irish form of Welsh is Branagh. Yeah. So yeah. There, there you have. So they were just bowmen that came over from. And then bowmen would make sense as a yeah. name as well. Oh, and, and one of them, I'm sure you played them on your radio, um, um, Boyer. Oh, you've read the yes. Boyer. But yeah. a Boyer is a bowman, is someone who made those. Okay. So a boyer, so a, a bow maker is a boyer. Right. So Brendan Boyer would have been from that, from that branch as well. Amazing. So, yeah. Amazing. There's some wonderful sayings actually we were talking about the expression to keep it under your hat. Yes. That's where the bowmen kept their string when they weren't using it under their hat. So it was an oil string and then they would have stringed, strung their bow in battle. But to protect it, they kept it under their hat. So that's where that comes from. Amazing. <laughs> So Peter, we're walking through here and uh, it reminds me to some degree of, I think, was it through the White House at some stage we walked in and was roped off, but there were rooms like this that were very ornate. This is a very ornate room. It is. Uh, originally it was a smoking room and then the family converted it into a dining room and it was used all the way up to the 1850s. The room I'm going to talk to you about, just beside us, we have the portraits. Oh, I meant to ask, when we were down the basement, I noticed we were walking around black. Was that black marble? Yeah, that's... So what we have are black... It's like a chessboard. Exactly. And this is Kilkenny black marble. And Kilkenny. Um, well, this is imported, probably. This, is, uh, this was brought into Kilkenny. But the black tile you can see is the Kilkenny black marble. Um, now, the portraits we have in the castle... The gentleman we have over here yeah. is the man who left the castle in 1967, and this is Arthur Butler. And Arthur was the 24th Earl and the 6th Marquis of Ormond. And I'm sure you've come across the word Ormond before. Oh yes. Uh, we have Ormond Key, Great Ormond yeah. Street Hospital, and in yeah. North America, Ormond Beaches in Florida. Okay. But Ormond is from our own language, from Irish, Irvuchum, East Munster. So Munster is the, the heartland of the Butler territory. Yeah. You might be familiar with a little game we participate in called hurling perhaps yes. <laughs> our, great, our great rival is um, Tipperary yeah. and Tipperary is upper and lower Ormond right. and of course the Tipperary colour is 
Tipperary is, uh, yeah, they are uh, yellow and are blue and yellow. Blue and yellow. And the butler coat of arms are door and azure, blue and gold. Right. That's where the butler, the Tipperary colours come from. Right. From the butler so where do the, of course, canary colours are? Well, we, we're, we're late, relatively latecomers. We were playing cricket here. So Laurie Mara's father was a cricketer. So we became, we were second generation. Okay. So the black and amber, I think, were just chosen for their contrast more okay. so than for, for adding historical. But the, the temporary coat of arms, or the temporary colours, I should say, is blue, blue and gold right. from, from the butler coat of arms. And the piece, one I wanted to talk to you about is the gentleman we have over here. This is um, Thomas Butler. Yeah. And Thomas was a tendril. And Thomas was a cousin to Elizabeth I of England. And they're connected to a family I'm sure you've heard of called the Bolins. So Anne Bolin, oh, the grandmother, yeah, yeah, yeah. was Lady Margaret Butler. Yeah. And Thomas was able to use this to his best advantage. And it was Thomas who was with Elizabeth during the crisis of the Spanish Armada. And when we're talking about Irish earlier, we think that Thomas brought Irish with him to the English court. So there's a famous song in Irish called Colleen O'Cushon Shore, The Young Girl Beside the River Shore. And there is an Elizabethan song called Colleen Orr, which is played for a quartet. And Shakespeare uses that in Henry V. Huh. So we think that Thomas brought that with him over to the English court. He also was the last of the family to frequent Irish harpists and, and, and poets. And uh, I was at a lecture recently about Black Tom's harpist. And he was paid 12 shillings to perform for the Earl of Essex. And all the other musicians were paid three shillings, so we were joking that Black Tom's harpist was the Rory Gallagher harpist that we had it's in the 16th it's century. It's it's like we know the year he died, 1614, right. and we, we think he died around the age of 83, which wow. I can tell you was a great age was for the early age? part of the was 17th century. Indeed. The gentleman we have here beside us, this is James Butler. James and his son John are responsible for most of the rebuild you'll see today. This is a beautiful painting by an Irish artist. We often forget our own artist, Richard Rothwell. Rothwell was from Athlone. And he also painted Daniel O'Connor, yeah. this resembles. It does and, indeed, I, yep, I, I, And Thomas Moore. Yeah. And, um, uh, and one of um, Rothwell's most famous paintings um, is in the National Portrait Gallery and it's the official portrait of Mary Shelley, the great writer in England as well. Right. So we often overlook, overlook I should say, yeah. our own writers. Interesting, there were, um, I remember Rothwell's in Banderslow when I was growing up and there's Rothwell's outside of Ottawa oh. in a village called Navan. Oh, very and the yeah. way into Navan is a long trim road. <laughs> Very good. Very oh, good. But uh, yeah, the connections are there all along the way. Absolutely. We'll, we'll just continue on. Yep. Now the and the stag's head there is. Oh, it's uh, uh, the, it's it's the extinct piece. Irish um, elk. And this uh. chap is from the, the last ice age. It came from a bog in Leitrim. And it's a couple of thousand years old. Apparently, this is the height of the animal in real life. So uh, 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 you would have found heads like this in, yeah. in the hallways as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to make one stuff if I can. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just going to pick one painting because it's got a connection to Dublin, believe it or not. And we just had the, um, the recent um, funeral of like, Queen Elizabeth II of England, yep. and of course, her son is the new King Charles III. And this is the mistress of King Charles II of England, and her name is called Barbara Villiers. And Barbara had three sons by Charles II. And one of them one of them gives his name to the most famous street in Dublin, the Duke of Grafton. So this is where Grafton Street is name. But the the frame we have in front of us is a seventeenth century frame. And these were developed at Altorp, where Diana's family is from. But it's got the beautiful green man. Can you see his eyes? And his little moustache oh, yeah. underneath. Yeah. And we find these in churches, of course, as well. Right. So in, in Ireland, of course, we have our own, the Sheila Nagins. Yes. In England, they have the green man, which turns up as well in, in, in churches as well. 
here it is on a picture frame. So this is called an original frame. It's like your a low Bavaria. So it's carved from fruit wood. It's incredibly rare, by the way, to have a 17th century painting with a 17th century frame. Yes. So I thought you'd like that. Indeed. I'm just going to make a quick stop here. And we're standing in an oval room, and this is where the staircase would have been in the 16th century. And as I said to you, the family rebuilt in the 1820s, and this room is called an ante room. So if you go in for an Italian meal, you have an antipasta. Yeah. So it's where you would have waited to be introduced to the family. And this is where I often say to people, do you have any fans of Downton Abbey? Because it's made our life a lot easier, I can tell you. But she's a wonderful actress, and named Maggie Smith. Yes. And she plays the wonderful, or I should say the incorrigible, the Dowinger Countess of Grantham. Well, the original Countess of Grantham is a real person, but she lived in the 18th century. But her name is Henrietta Butler. She's yeah. a member of this family. Yeah. So I'd love to think that Julian Fellows is a random title from a Butler connection. Ah. But we'll come into the library. We have a great saying in English books make the best furniture. Yeah. <laughs> so the library is always the best room to have in your house. <laughs> the books themselves, we bought most of these during the 18th and 19th century, which are a very fine collection. We do have a few original volumes. The old this one I found is uh, 1674 and it's Dugdale's Baronages of England what was wonderful about it was in the margins were annotations and you could tell it wasn't pen it was quill so somebody was doing notations and as you probably well know Irish manuscripts what's often written is in the margins more interesting than the book (laughs) and uh, so the famous one we talk about is Pangor Bond the the, the cat W.H. Auden done the verse translation of it about the little the monk at his scriptorium and each each of us to our task me to my writing and you to your mice and that was a little notation just found in a manuscript ah. so as I said it's even more interesting than indeed. the book, the book <laughs> itself indeed I'm sure you went to your namesake in Galway to get some of these I books. do do and I still do <laughs> they're <laughs> online at the moment uh, yeah, I, d- I did yeah. a, I did a uh, show with Tomas um, there a year ago or so and we talked about the, the history of the family and getting into the business and being in the book business the mm-hmm. Kenny's bookshop in Galway I think some of this I heard um, you probably heard of White's bookshop in Dublin. Yes. And it was, a, it, was, it was one of the saddest things that it was a lady going into a nursing home and she had to pick what book she was holding on to. And it was like her old friends she was saying goodbye to. And she had tears in her eyes. So it's entirely, they can be great companions yes. as well. Yes. Over, over, so we forget how important they are to people in their, in their lives as well. Indeed. So this is the, the, the library, as you can see. I just wanted to point out we have two little pole screens over here. These were designed to protect the lady's face from the heat of the fire, so you didn't get a rosy cheek on a cold evening. So That's ladies, what we're missing. Ladies, and uh, ladies wanted to maintain the pale porcelain complexion on that one. Uh, oh, by the way, you can, you can blame Coco Chanel. She's the one that's attributed to bronze or tanned complexion. And ironically enough, we're telling people to protect themselves now with sunblock and sunscreen. But can you see the, the, the one over on the right hand side? Yeah, it's huh? a lady. So we often have school tours coming through the castle. And one little girl a few years ago asked me, what was the lady texting on her mobile phone? So once you see it, you can't unsee it. No, you can't. But uh, myself and the teacher were flattened by this, of course. And uh, we were chatting later, no more than my own son. There's a whole generation has grown up with mobile phones. <laughs> the first thing she would see would be a mobile phone. But as we say in Ireland, you couldn't make it up if you tried. <laughs> you couldn't. <laughs> you couldn't. So, yeah, if you're coming through Kilkenny Castle now the, on, on your the treasure hunt, you have to find where's the lady with the mobile phone that's, from. That's our from, challenge for today. From 1700. <laughs> and that's not fine. PM. <laughs> now, so the room we're in in France is called the Salon. Yeah. In Italy, it's Salone. In England, it's called a drawing room. And in Ireland and North America, we use the same term. And in Irish as well, it's called on parlour. The parlour. So this is where the ladies came to after dinner. And the piece I'll show you, if you just want to come over this way a little bit. Have you seen one of these before? Yeah, that's the uh, drinks caddy, isn't it? Yeah. it? Well, it is for drink, but it's a tea caddy. It's used for storing tea. Okay. And you would have had different types of tea. 
okay. in Ireland will be the cause of the next civil war whether you have lions or berries too <laughs> but uh, you can see there's a lock on the front yes uh, the lady of the house kept the key to that originally by the way there was three types of tea there was green black and oolong and the English introduced tea to India and Ceylon which is now Sri Lanka at the bottom of it you can hear there's a liner uh-huh. there was sugar and on top of that was a bowl for blending your own tea for mixing your own type of tea and um, a lot of these big houses developed their own special blends so you have Earl Grey and Darjeeling and English Breakfast I'm sure in Canada you have Twinings Twinings have 5,000 blends of tea on their books today it's a lovely little bit of social history and I'm sure in Canada as well part of the history syllabus is about the voyages of European exploration so we're teaching our children about Marco Polo and St. Brendan and uh, Columbus and Captain James Cook this is what Europeans were looking for tea, sugar, coffee, cinnamon, nutmeg. The final thing I'll say to you it's called a caddy. It's nothing to do with golf. Yeah. It's a word that came from India. And it's a word called cat or catty, it's sometimes called. It's a measurement for tea. It's a pound and a third. By the way, other words from Indian that we use in English are words like um, shampoo, pajamas, and bungalow. So we often say to people, the Europeans didn't, when they went to these countries, didn't just bring back commodities, they brought back ideas and language yeah. with them. And the Irish, we have the capacity to mangle it completely, don't we? <laughs> I've, I've managed Ulysses, but Finnegan's Wake is absolutely impenetrable <laughs> as a book as books go. And so, but we're all, we are very familiar with the tea caddy. The tea caddy. My yeah. granny was often reminded me in the, in, the, in the Second World War, they were drying their tea leaves out to, to use again, yeah. you know, that they would have recycled their tea leaves. But again, it's something that we take for granted today. Sometimes and, and if I recall correctly, <coughs> way back in the days of black and white TV here, I think it might have been even in the rear, no, no, it might have been the rear, but uh, it was Frank Hall, I think, in one of the scenes that he'd have the tea bags up drying out. For Oh, Victoria Weekly. Yes. Yeah, I remember that actually on, on, on television as well. Now, if you come up this way with me, I'll, I'll take you up to the to the bedrooms. We have the stairs we're going up. It's called a cantilever stairs, and the steps extend into the wall. Yeah. Uh, one quarter of a length. They're made from Whitlow granite. You can see the little rings. Yeah, for the this carpets. Been carpet. for the so it's not a servant's staircase. Right. This would have been used by the family. Okay. But you can imagine going up and down these steps all day. You wouldn't be going to the gym in the evening. You wouldn't need. You wouldn't, you wouldn't need, need it. No. Yep. You wouldn't need your fitness. And that one. But Wicklow granite, of course, is a durable stone. So, but it's an incredible piece of workmanship, considering it's nearly 200 years old. When you talk about workmanship, and I, I know we talked outside about the archaeology, you know, we, we think in our modern terminology that architects are relatively new in one context, but we know that they're around for thousands of years. Oh, on yeah. another level, Ooh. I think what we fail to recognize is how um, knowledgeable and expert they were hundreds of years ago. Well, my own background is medieval. Yes. And there's a wonderful site I'd recommend any of your viewers to view. It's on YouTube as well. Is There's a site in France in the Loire Valley called Gourdon, and they've been rebuilding the castle from scratch for the past 30 years. And it's amazing what they're rediscovering about the techniques and the processes of experimental archaeology. And honestly, I believe people have forgotten more about engineering than we'll ever know in this one. I just stopped here just to show you quickly. The butlers, of course, would have known many famous individuals in the, the photograph you can see Shackleton, Shackleton. he was friends with them so this is the, the third mark and there I see Monty do I see Monty there? no no Monty guest guest I, I don't think it's the other Monty I'm not sure it was probably a bit, a bit early on that one yeah. um, they would have entertained King Edward VII Victoria's son and George V was here as well right. in, in the castle as well so this is the meeting in the gallery, which you'll be seeing in a few moments. This dates from the 19th century. You can see there's 184 paintings in the room at that time. So this was the highlight of the castle, the golden age, really, in the 19th century. What might have brought a gathering like that together? Well, they would have had meetings here, they had discussions. Although it was their family home, one thing I like to mention to people is the gallery was open to the public. However, I do have to say, I know the background for this particular photograph. 
and it's the anti-home rule league meeting here in Kilkenny so Edward Carson would have been a cousin of the family as well so they were on both sides of, of the divide so this was the anti-home rule league meeting right. here in the castle no, I and is it, when you mention that it's as with a lot of Irish families and the divisions within Ireland mm. many families had members on, on both, both sides, sides indeed. of a, 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 yep. a, a crisis or a trouble yep. now one thing as you know the Irish we have long memories but the butlers were very good to their people right. during the famine period right. and they forewent the rent on their properties and uh, they, they paid for passage as well for people that wanted to emigrate so as a consequence they were well respected um, one thing I'd like to mention is um, back in the 1980s they interviewed one of the former servants who worked here and she spoke very highly about the butlers right. no, we'll just continue down this way we'll take you on to the bedrooms we have um, I know that these door frames here beautiful wood as well yeah well it's interesting about this particular wood is the expensive wood was used in the more public areas of the castle and this is pine and it's been combed to make it look more expensive from a distance so they were taking a bit of a shortcut on it but the architect had told, told, told me about this is this is what did happen in the 19th century this is authentic so they combed the wood to make it look more expensive from right. a distance so the expensive teaks and mahoganies and all that were used in the more public sections of the castle and as in many of these houses I've commented that the pine may have come from Canada from Canada actually I'll be talking to you about that the pine and the ceiling we, we have in the long gallery were almost certain came from, from Canada, Canada. Yeah, yeah, Canadian pine and this is where we, we started at the bottom of the tower this is the top of the tower and the butlers we call it the blue bedroom or the William Morris bedroom the butler one question we get of course is how many bedrooms were in the castle and it was about 35 oh. and most of them were on the west wing there were the guest bedrooms but these are the principal family bedrooms and dressing rooms the, the wallpaper is William Morris and Morris is the most famous of all the Victorian designers in the movement called the Arts and Crafts Movement and he wanted to go back to wo good workmanship good design and it was almost kicking against the industrialization of of, 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 of things as well and the bedroom would have been used by King Edward VII this is where he stayed when he was here right. in 1904 right. I just want to show you one more room because I want to spend a bit of time with you in the, in the gallery so during the periods of trouble where you said the butlers were well respected mm -hmm. I know an awful lot of big houses were the, the subject the, of attack they were and luckily enough the butlers weren't right. however during we, we now believe that the um, the start of the Irish Civil War the first shots fired in anger were here in Kilkenny and the family were held hostage for about three days by Republican forces and right. luckily no one was injured right. um, although the castle was badly damaged in terms of bullet, bullet, bullet shot I should say right. and, and windows were blown out but now it's now accepted by historians that um, this was the, the opening shots fired in anger in the Civil War period okay. mm -hmm. and, but the family remained here until 1935 right. so well past that but it was the financial upkeep of the castle yeah. Yeah. one of the great uh, during the First World War debt and duty taxes were increased to 33 and one third percent in, in England of course the National Trust was set up and in Ireland we didn't have anything like that right. as you said some of these houses were demolished yeah they were unfortunately vandalized or they were dis or, um, handed over to religious institutions yes. but the butlers was left it wasn't it was just left derelict so right. looking right. enough any repair work that we had to do was dereliction more right. so than, than right. vandalism this room is uh, we're trying to do a compare and contrast that's Victorian this is Georgian and we call this chinoiserie from chinois the, the French word for China originally by the way this was like a dressing room you can see there's two doors mm -hmm. so it's like a walk-in wardrobe it's where you mm -hmm. would have been washed dressed and prepared by the family so we're just going to do a, a compare and contrast but I, I just want to walk and talk and with I you. noticed the um, cabinet there obviously came from uh, the Orient 
Well, the only oriental piece we have is that screen, yeah. and that's 18th century. What looks like a Chinese lacquer is made in London about 1790. Right. And this is a copy of a Chinese lacquer. So they became very, very popular, of course. So this is just simply black paint and gilding. But right. it, it, it is a, it, it's a beautiful copy, but mm -hmm. it is made in London about 1780, 1790. Right. And these would have been bridal chests originally in, 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 Ch in China. Oh, I want to spend a bit of time with you okay. um, in, the, in the gallery. Piece I want to talk to you it was the last architectural work to be carried out in the castle. And we called it the Moorish staircase, although it's not Moorish at all, this is Venetian Gothic. But this was done by um, the uh, Charles W. Harrison, was the sculptor. And Harrison's were based in Dublin, and it was Harrison's that brought over Padraig Pierce's father as a sculptor right. over to Ireland as well. So that's the connection we have with, with this one. This beautiful big stone is from Cannes in Normandy. And this is an example of a winter garden. This is where you bring your plants inside for the winter time. So it's like an indoor greenhouse. So you have the glass from above, you would have had the steam pipes from below, and you would have had terraces of plants running all the way down. And the Victorians, you know, loved exotic plants. The yeah. more exotic, the better yeah. on that one. Unfortunately, we can't have plants in it today. But we, can, we have photographs showing what it did look like yeah. at, the, at, the, at the height of its, um, it, it, its use. The wood that is then on the floor down here, yeah. uh, that is, looks like oak. It is oak. And probably, is it uh, probably Irish oak? Irish oak, yep. And the floor that we have, just before we come in, this is the original floor. Right. And this is called parquetry, or depending on your pronunciation, tomato, tomato, parquetry, or parquet flooring. <laughs> And these are quarter-foot blocks of Irish oak. And these date all the way back to 17th century France. And uh, this floor was installed in 1825. It's been for 200 years. Oh. And it's held up remarkably well. Remarkably well. So uh, we've sanded it occasionally. But if you notice, the stain is un uneven. And that's the way we want it. It wouldn't have been perfect in its own day. So we don't want it to like, go into no. a hardware shop no. and buy, 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 buy one seal or what have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's an uneven even stain and that's yeah. what it would have looked so like. So probably a clear lacquer. Yeah, on, yeah. on, on the wood as well. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, this is the, the last room we take visitors to and this of course is the, the long gallery of the castle and the picture gallery. It's the second longest room we have in Ireland. The longest room is the Library of Trinity College in, in Dublin. In terms of dimensions, the room itself is 52 metres long or 150 okay. feet. Right. And the family built it essentially as an art gallery. And this room, as I said to you, 184 paintings, and was open to the public on occasion. Now we have about 54 today, and they are growing, thankfully. You might have noticed we have far too many portraits in the collection. If any of your listeners are interested in antiques, portraits are the least valuable painting for resale today. <laughs> the best way I can describe it to you is like having someone else's photograph album. Yes. Why would you want one unless you had a connection? <laughs> and I don't know about your houses, but a 14-foot full-length portrait doesn't get very comfortably in the front right. door. Not well, not only that, but with an 8-foot ceiling, you have a problem. Exactly. On, on so they're designed for the building they're built from. And the gallery was used for the entertainment of state guests. There was royal banquets here. In the 1950s, they used to allow fesh kilns here. Wow. So they have Irish dancing here. Yeah. At Christmas time, we decorate the castle and we invite the local schools in here. Yeah. So um, we have a carol singing at Christmas. And my boss, when I began work here, was Paddy Friel, Patricia Friel. And her father was Brian Friel. So Translations was one of the plays I yes. saw performed in this room as well. Amazing. So it's, it's multi-purpose. Indeed. In, in um, so something like Culture Night, which is once a year, would they... Um, room would be open and would you host here? Oh yeah, we had um, Siobhan Armstrong who was an yes. Irish harpist and uh, she performed up there yes. and, yeah, and she was doing uh, performances of medieval and 16th century harpist yeah. music she's a wonderful musician and a wonderful, uh, wonderful historian as well but I think you'll agree the finest feature has to be the ceiling yeah. and the first of all if you notice the shape of the ceiling the name of this is called a hammer beam truss and historians would draw similarities between this type of ceiling and you know the body of a boat or a ship if you turn it upside down yeah. it would remind you of a ship and again Canadian pine so this is all imported from Canada 
Um, it's painted and decorated by one single artist. He came from Oxford, and his name is called John Hungerford Pollen. He later in his life he became the first curator of the Victorian Albert Museum. But when he was a young man, he was involved with an artistic movement called the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. They were formed in 1848, the Revolution. The easiest way I find to explain this ceiling and pollen slightly is um, medievalism, but a very romantic idea of medieval history. So you consider the Arthurian legends, Guinevere and Lancelot, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, the works of Dante. But what I like to find out to people, if you look in terms of design, you might notice he's borrowed from many different cultures. Uh-huh. So there's a Scandinavian quality. There's bits of English medieval, yeah. and very telling me he's incorporated Celtic. So yeah. you can see Celtic knotwork just mm-hmm. above yeah. the stone corbel. And it, I, I can see what would be traces of uh, native. Uh, First Nations America, Canadian America. I've heard that actually, and I've heard people from New Zealand talk about Maori decoration. They've seen similarities with it as well. The glass in the centre is modern, although the original ceiling did contain glass, but it was a heavy green glass, you know, like a wine bottle. Uh So they knew about the harmful effects of direct sunlight on tapestry, paintings, and furniture. As we were saying, we underestimate people completely in centuries gone by. A little example of that I'll just show you over here. You can see there's a little vent. Yes. Under the floor is a crawl space of about half a metre. And down at the very end, under that lancet arch, is the old Victorian kitchen. And in the ceiling is a vent. So when the ovens were going full blast, all of that waste heat was siphoned up. And you Central had underfloor heating. You also got to know what you're getting for your dinner. Right. Bit of a drawback. But very, very clever in Perfect. terms of all overall engineering. Indeed. I'm just going to take it down to the fireplace. Yeah. Um, no, this, this room is amazing in every respect. The, well, the artist, the, uh, even on the... Um, the, the beams going across and the artwork on the side mm. uh, is phenomenal. This is the original colour as well, Oxblood and Magenta. And it's a colour you'll find used in art galleries all over the world. So, the Peter, when you did come in and the work needed to be done, what condition was the artwork on the. On Actually, this hasn't been tampered with at all. It was lightly dusted and cleaned. Right. But other than that, we've left it. It's in pristine condition. This was very badly. It wasn't badly damaged at all. Although, I do say to people that the colours have faded considerably. Naturally. These are the original pigments that were yeah. used in the 90s. So, it would have been much more uh, vibrant. Yes. It, yes. Would have, it, it would have popped, as they say. Yeah. Um, but the man who designed the ceiling also designed the fireplace and all the fireplaces we have are all Italian marble and my Italian is dreadful this is Il Marmo del Carrara the Carrara marble same type of stone that Michelangelo would have used you can see it's a dull fireplace yeah. we used to tell our children it was designed for Santa Claus you can use down one drops the presents and goes up the <laughs> other one but if you ever get to a Greek or Roman temple this piece is called a frieze in the centre and all of these little panels narrates an event from family history and in the centre we have the family coat of arms and as I said to you downstairs we have the three covered cups yes. the symbol for the butlers you remember I told you about the temporary colours uh-huh. blue and gold yeah. from the chief we have this is a saltier cross this is the Fitzgeralds and the Fitzgeralds and the butlers were mortal enemies but they were also cousins so there's no better feud than between <laughs> cousins and the final piece is Carrick and this is Carrick and Shore so before there were Earls of Ormond there were Earls of Carrick right. on that one and the family motto is above it's in French it says come je trouve as I find so as I find wealth as I find wisdom as I find honour I often mention to visitors of course it is French um, and the butlers were speaking French and you'll find a legacy of this in the surnames we have especially in the southeast of Ireland so in Kilkenny today we have names I've grown up with Power which is the Poyer Burke is the Burke Tobin or Tobin is San Toban we have Costello which is San Angelo we have Delaney Darcy Delahunty Devereux most of the Fitzes in Ireland are Norman Fitzgerald Fitzgibbon yeah. Fitzmaurice there's one exception ever make this mistake it's fatal Fitzpatrick they're definitely Irish they're the great <laughs> Miguel Padricks but we have a saying in Latin it used to be Hibernos Ipsos Hibernos which is more Irish than Irish and that developed of course into more Irish even than the mm-hmm. Irish themselves mm-hmm. of course the, the Vikings uh, had um, 
the Doyles, so the Dulfgoyle and the Dark Foreigner, as opposed to Fingal, the Fjungal, the Fair Foreigner, to distinguish between the two as well. But the Butlers were, very, we were, were an Anglo-Irish family, so they had a, a, a foot reading in both camps. The piece I wanted to talk to you about, because in Irish music, this is the return of the Duke of Ormond to Dublin in 1662, and he's crossing the only bridge in Dublin at that time. And Carulo Dalek, who gave a speech here back in the 70s, said that the song was sung, Hogger on Sarreeling, that the summer had come again, after the yoke of the Cromwellian era, that a bit of daylight had, had come back into, or a bit of sunshine had come back into, into Ireland after the depredations of the Cromwellian era. And or, um, Ormond began the transformation of Dublin. So we have Ormond Quay, the Arran Quay, the Phoenix Park in Dublin, which yeah. has nothing to do with the mythical bird. It's Fionn Ishka, the fair water on that one. St. Stephen's Green is one of his, and one of the most underrated buildings as a modern art museum is the Royal Hospital for Old Soldiers at Kilmainham. Yep, and he based that on the building he saw in Paris called Les Andres. Yes. And he died in 1688, but being a Duke when he died, he was buried at Westminster Abbey over, right. over in London. And this is his wife, Elizabeth Preston, and here she is giving alms and charity to the poor. So she was allowed back to Ireland in, in the 1650s. And um, this is her house, we think, in the background, or uh, Dunmore House, which no longer exists, it would have been just outside of Kilkenny. And again, what we said earlier on, you know, we have this assumption that back hundreds of years ago people were not sophisticated, people were not... Oh, anything, anything but. Yeah. I, I think, I think we, with mobile phones we've lost our attention spans completely <laughs> with, 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 with that. So, yeah, um, no, people... Um, the Ormans, did they have a Twitter handle? I, 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 I'll have to get back to you on that one. Or an Instagram. I'm sure if they were around today, they probably would <laughs> <laughs> on that one. An um, interesting one, you have the carving, is, you have the shamrocks, of course. And a common motif is the, the, the little acorn. Yeah, so from the great oaks, yeah, little acorns yeah, and yeah. all of that as well. Yeah. Beautifully carved, uh, as I said, the same chapter done the staircase. You mentioned Chuck Fiancaura. I know yeah. that's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful piece of music. Mm. The, cur- the one that we hear recorded today is... By the gloaming, is it? Have I know you, numerous, I, know, I have a number, yeah. numerous yeah. recordings of Chuck Fiancaura. Uh, but yeah, and Irla Leonard, mm. uh, he does a wonderful job on that as well. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, yep. Yeah. Um, so, Peter, word. This would be kind of where people wrap up. Then and this is it. Um, we finish here, and we, we 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 invite people down. We have the Ross Tapestry, which is down below us, and we have the, the kitchen is now a tea room, of course, and we yeah. have 54 acres of parkland outside for people to enjoy right. as well. And um, opening, um, how? Are there days of the year you guys are closed? We close. Um, we close on. Um, excuse me. On um, Christmas Eve, we're closed for a half day, and then we close on Christmas Day and Stevens's Day. And that's it. And that's pretty much it. And regular opening hours from what hour of the day to what hour? At this time of the year, we're open from nine fifteen, and last admission is about five o'clock. Um, during the height of the season, would it be prudent to? book in advance. It would, definitely. And I would advise people if you're visiting, visit either early in the morning or late in the evening just to avoid that. And if you're part of a group, uh, tours are provided? Yep, all they need to do is make a booking and just contact us here by email and we can book groups in. And if you want to go on a guided tour, we can provide a guide to bring you around as well. And for our website and other information where people can... It's uh, heritageireland.ie and and that'll open up all the various sites. Gate, the gateway to all of the other and sites. And if I'm not mistaken, I noticed that there is you can get a pass on there that will give you access to, if you were here for an extended yeah, period. Yeah, we have the, the heritage card. Yes. And it's very very good value. If you're travelling around to any of the OPW sites, it gives you free admission. So there's an adult, there's a senior, there's a student, a yeah. student card, and there's a family card as well. Right. So, so very certainly if you were here for two or three weeks... I the heritage it card would be, it would be very hi- much worthwhile. It would be highly, highly likely to to, to, to invest in one. It would be, it would be a, good, a good, a good choice. Indeed, yeah. Peter, it's been fabulous, and thank you for such a wonderful tour. And um, the thank time you for visiting today. It's been, it's been a pleasure. I hope you come back again to us we, sometime. We hope so. Thank you.
And you have been listening to Irish Radio Candidate Home Abroad, and we've been in Kilkenny Castle, and uh, Peter Kenny has been showing us around. And you got the website there, heritage.ie, and I would strongly recommend, as we said there, go and get the Heritage card and in doing so you can look at the map figure out what your route is plan your day and you won't be disappointed